Hey, before we get going with this episode of the Catholic Gateway Podcast and this brand new season that we have prepared for you, I just want to say thanks. Thank you for listening. I know there's lots of other things you can do with your time. There's plenty of other podcasts out there. So thanks for listening to us. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe. You can do it through iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or pretty much any other podcast app out there that you might have. And when you subscribe, you'll automatically be able to get our podcast episodes in your feed. And then once you've done that, if you'd leave a rating for us, maybe leave a comment, and share us with your friends, because that's the way we're going to get other people to listen to this great podcast. And if you like it, we hope you'll share it with other people. So thanks for listening to the Catholic Gateway Podcast. And because it's a Catholic podcast, we can say, Pax Tecum. Peace to you. Moving into a spiritual dimension. A sense of wow and wonder. I'm kind of praying about what I'm supposed to do with my life. All of us are connected in archdiocese. I have no idea what a priest did during the day. We do take into account our Christian and Catholic values. From the Rome of the West, this is the Catholic Gateway Podcast. Your audio gateway into the Archdiocese of St. Louis. On each episode of the Catholic Gateway Podcast, we'll tell the stories about the interesting people, places, and events that make up the Roman Catholic Archdiocese of St. Louis. I'm Gabe Jones. Trusting in the Holy Spirit to guide our words, let's begin. Inside St. Anselm Catholic Church in Crevecourt sits a relatively modest wooden case about 25 or 30 feet tall and 12 or 15 feet wide. There is no choir loft in this round church, so the case is on the floor, the same level as the pews. A bench sits in front and rows of pipes, 1,368 to be exact, are arranged inside and outside the case above two small keyboards called manuals. This, of course, is a pipe organ, a Herdetsky pipe organ, to be exact. In 2017, the Herdetsky celebrated its 50th anniversary here at St. Anselm's. In a space like St. Anselm's, with its soaring arched roof, the wooden case which houses the organ is not really an imposing feature. Against the 1950s modern architecture, this wooden organ almost seems out of place. But the sound it makes is, well, heavenly. Often called the king of instruments, the pipe organ has been a fixture in churches across Western culture for centuries, and it is inseparably linked to church worship. But in many churches, especially those built since the Second Vatican Council, the sound of pipe organ music has faded into history. Andrzej Zahorsky realizes this, and is actively doing what he can to reestablish the pipe organ in a place of prominence 
amongst the church's current music lexicon. Why is it important for people to recognize that organs are, um, are so crucial to our understanding of church? Your question is uh, deceptively simple, yet it is very complex. So let me start with an easy part. Uh, what it means for me, why the organ is uh, important for me. Uh, it is so because I happen to know this tradition quite well. I love it. I'm getting excited about it. And uh, I appreciate its richness and depth. Uh, and also I know quite a lot about these matters. Uh, there's so much, still so much to discover. Why it's, it should be important for the people that's a difficult part because I, I'm not in a position to tell anybody uh, what, uh, what it should be or what shouldn't be. In general, I can point out, however, objective facts that make organ truly important for understanding of, of our church. Andre was born in Poland. He studied music there and in France before coming to the United States to continue graduate studies at Stanford where he earned a doctoral degree in music performance and organ. Now he's the director of music at St. Anselm. In case you can't tell, he's passionate about the magnificent instrument that is the pipe organ. First of all, it was the only instrument practically used uh, for worship for many centuries. And of course, some people might question, is organ really a sacred instrument? you have to think what sacrality means. One of the primary meaning of the word is that sacred means set apart, uh, exclusive for, uh, for some noble cause. And indeed, organ was associated with the church only, with very few exceptions, for so long. The 19th century uh, changed that uh, to uh, a large degree, but uh, we talk about uh, many, many centuries uh, of very harmonious cooperation of the church and organ living in harmony, if you will. Uh, and uh, that's, that's very special. I, I think that no other instrument comes even close except human voice and the choir, of course. Uh, so that's, uh, that's reason number one. And also, for a long time, organ did not have any association with secular music, with very few exceptions. Uh, some very small organs were used uh, at chambers uh, in the court uh, uh, environment, but uh, everybody knew that organ is the church instrument, period. Yeah, so it is an, an icon of the church's culture. This icon of church culture originated in ancient Greece and Rome, when early models used water to create enough air pressure through the pipes. Later, bellows were created. But the organ's dominance in Western church music really began in the 9th century, when Charlemagne requested a pipe organ be placed in a church in Aachen, in what is now Germany. Today, organ enthusiasts claim more solo compositions have been written for pipe organ than for all other instruments, combined. As you might imagine, with so much music out there and with so many centuries of history, the pipe organ has had some growing pains. Organ was uh, a leading force uh, in technology for a long time. 
and creative effort in design and construction resulted in great richness of instruments. And that ended with the end of Baroque. The second half of the 18th century was a decline in organ use and organ building. In the 19th century, again, the constructors, the builders, tried to improve the process, but instead of improving the quality, uh, they tried to improve uh, the process to make it cheaper and create methods of uh, mass production. So that lowered the quality of uh, instruments to the point that uh, some uh, sensitive people uh, said, finally, uh, that's enough. Uh, This is not the same instrument. We cannot play the most beautiful literature um, uh, with a success. The Herdetsky organ at St. Anselm's was a product of what is known as the organ revival movement, a revival of organ design and installation that took place in the early and mid-20th century. But in the 50 years since this Herdetsky was installed, pianos, flutes, violins, guitars, and even drums have supplanted the organ's use for worship in many churches, a fact not lost on Andre. Very often, beautiful churches in America are deprived of instruments uh, for a variety of reasons. It it is expensive. People do not understand the tradition, and people are not competent. And very often, they are not uh, competently played. Unfortunately, there's not much going on in terms of education for organists on on a higher level, I would say. We have to use what we have, and especially if if we happen to have quality instrument as uh, here at the Abbey. So let's talk about this organ then, uh, being 50 years old and sort of what it represents in the time it was installed and built here and, and the space. The, the acoustics here are especially good for an organ. The music really comes out in a space like this. And this organ, being 50 years old now, marked part of that renaissance at the time, nobody heard about Radetzky company in the United States. What uh, happened was that one American organist, Dr. Thomas Harmon, at the time a graduate student, was uh, on a scholarship, uh, Fulbright scholarship in Vienna, and uh, he was exposed to, to Radetzky family, that's a family business, and their organs. Uh, this was a relatively, well, the company wasn't new, but uh, they made the several changes that uh, completely changed the, the quality of their instruments. And he got impressed. Uh, and this, this, this was his contact. He was uh, a Washington University student, uh, and he used his influence to to promote Hradetsky uh, family and their instruments, and uh, he was successful. Uh, there was a decision that th- this organ was to be built in that space. Hradetsky built other instruments in the United States, uh, but not uh, in this area. The organ was manufactured uh, at their uh, firm in Austria and was shipped in containers and put together 
in a matter of, uh, I think, eight weeks or so. If I might not remember correctly, but uh, it's a relatively short time. Uh, it is in line of uh, uh, the best tradition of organ building. Uh, so the action or mechanism of transmission uh, signal from keyboards to to uh, to pipes is entirely mechanical, uh, so there is no electricity involved or uh, pneumatic connections, which uh, uh, make the instrument more like a machine than the musical instrument. Uh, so it's more sensitive to to touch and uh, it's more responsive to the musician. Also, it doesn't have any memories, any buttons to press to change uh, combination of stops easily. Everything needs to be pulled uh, by hand. Uh, so romantic instruments uh, um, have a lot of gadgets. Uh, Baroque uh, organs do not. And what's really important is that after uh, it's put together it needs to be voiced. So there's a very specific uh, process of uh, harmonizing uh, each pipe with each other so the uh, uh, particular pipes do not stand out or not louder or softer than others that they uh, truly be, uh, behave as uh, one body. Voicing is a very uh, difficult skill. Uh, there are people who do voicing and nothing else, uh, the voicers. If okay. you, yeah. Is that what we would call tuning for another instrument? Or is that a it's different? more than tuning, it's deciding about the tonal shape of a pipe, yes. Okay. So if you come in here and you're voicing it, and you notice that a pipe is standing out, do you have to go in and actually change that pipe and, and change the shape of it? Uh, yes, you have, uh, you have certain, uh, certain elements of, uh, pipe, uh, of a pipe that can be reduced in size or extended and so you talk about the very fine adjustment of uh, some physical features of the pipe to uh, to make it uh, to, to to be harmonious with other yeah. pipes though it's considered a relatively modest organ with only two manuals and a few dozen knobs and levers andre demonstrated just a few of the ways the sound of the herdetsky can be altered uh, so Briefly, um, yeah, I have several colors. The basic uh, color that's principal. Then you add uh, a brighter stop, the octave. Or even more brightness. Now we have flutes and burdens. It's a different family of stops. Um, or the, a combination of a very bright with this rather dark stop is very lovely. You see, uh, so let's see. And we have um, a stop imitating brass instrument, trumpet for solos uh, playing. Or uh, for ensemble. Uh, 
I think that uh, you could explore this for a good hour. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> to show all and combinations yeah. and ideas, and uh, indeed uh, the composers and musicians and um, organists were very um, imaginative and uh, creative about uh, finding new effects all the time so it, it is a very uh, very rich uh, vocabulary if you will if you're like me it doesn't really matter how it sounds or what is being played an organ instantly brings to mind a long aisle between pews perfectly lined up on each side a soaring steeple and the strong smell of wax and incense the sounds of a pipe organ can lift one's mind and soul to consider the things of god unlike any other instrument that's what it's meant to do. Together with Gregorian chant, the pipe organ exemplifies what church sounds like. Organ has a capacity of bringing people outside of the realm of their uh, regular life. Uh, so we go beyond, we go beyond into certain mystical zone. That's why uh, it is such a good instrument for, for the church because we can uh, be inspired uh, and driven toward God, either through very majestic sounds or very intimate sounds. It's a very versatile instrument, in fact. And indeed, it, it is uh, a good vehicle for music that can be uh, contemplative or uh, very inspiring and very energetic. So that's, uh, that's a potential we don't always see, and uh, but it comes out only if we deal with good instruments uh, in good spaces played by good musicians. Good musicians are a must because the organ is the most complex of all musical instruments and it comes in such a variety of shapes and sizes that it should be regarded more like a family of instruments than a single instrument. The organ's pitch range and palette of what organists call tone colors have no match in the history of other instruments. In blessing a new organ in Regensburg, Germany in 2006, Pope Benedict XVI said that the organ takes up all the sounds of creation and gives resonance to the fullness of human sentiments. By transcending the merely human sphere, as all music of quality does, it evokes the divine. Of course, when we talk about contemplating the divine, we must consider the liturgy, which is where the organ is most at home. I think it's not a small paradox to see uh, the most solemn churches documents talking about great value of uh, sacred music and see so little of sacred music uh, at churches, at local churches. So it's almost some cognitive dissonance. So a natural question is why so and what can be changed? I think the answer to the first question is very complex and it merits some discussion. I believe that it is something about education but also about discovering the power of inspiration for spiritual life of people 
and using music more in our work of, uh, of, uh, of reaching out to people and offering them something that can inspire them. Music is perhaps not for everybody. There are many ways to God, but this is uh, an important one and it can be a very powerful one if it's done right. to expose more people to the grandeur and beauty of sacred music, as well as its inspirational and evangelical power, Andre worked with friend and colleague Renee Ziner, who is involved with the National Guild of Organists and the National Association of Pastoral Musicians. Together, they scheduled a concert series marking the 50th anniversary of the Herdetsky organ at St. Anselm's. The first concert was held in October 2017 followed by another in February 2018. A final concert was scheduled for April 2018. The music selected for each concert was intended to highlight different aspects and abilities of the Herdetsky organ. The pieces date from the Renaissance all the way through the 20th century. But no matter when they were composed, René rejects the idea that any of this music is old. When, when you think of how long something has happened. If you go to the art museum, for example, and you look at a painting on the wall, and you might say, how nice, how beautiful, um, you might take a moment to read the um, little tag that goes with it, and you might discover it was painted a long time ago. Until you do that, though, you really have no notion of how old that is. It's, it was relevant the moment you looked at it and said that that was beautiful. So when an organist plays what Andre played here, it's not that it's old or it was composed so long ago. It speaks as, as relevant today as the moment it was composed. So it's Couperin's gift to us for the ages. And then when Andre plays it, it's Andre's gift to whoever's listening um, and enjoying it. And then, of course, that gets um, telescoped into the whole role of prayer and contemplation and so on. And I think that church has a unique position that doesn't have to respond to all market trends. It is in a position naturally in, uh, of the educator, uh, of uh, a body that shapes people's attitudes. And I think that should be our ambition as well. Rene explained that concerts such as this series highlighting the Herdetsky's 50th anniversary and high-quality liturgical music in general can serve to shake us out of a sort of complacency when it comes to experiencing the liturgy. One of the problems you can see is that, you know, your conversation with God, your experience with God is very intimate, it's very personal. Um, When you externalize that, like when you sing or when you kneel and so on, people can see that. And so... A mistake that can be made is if you see a whole community singing, then you could make the assumption, wow, what are, they must be having a rich spiritual experience. And I'm not going to, to deny that they would not. I mean, how, would you, how do you measure that? But there is no denying that when you have good choral music and good organ music, 
that the chances are very good that you are assisting people in that internal experience and so they'll externalize it and basically it's, it's a very good thing. So what you want to avoid is a situation where you might say, okay, everybody sing this hymn and they start singing it, but how do you know that they actually mean what they sing? A very good example would be the recitation of the creed or the Lord's Prayer or anything. How many people are actually paying attention to the words as they go through it, or is this simply a checklisted item that they have to get through because that's what, as Catholics, we experience liturgy, structured liturgy. There's certain things you, you have to do. You complete them and you move on to something. But did you really experience that? We know what the role of the organ is in liturgy. You know what the role of the choir is in liturgy. Any textbook will tell you that. And you can extend that to readers. What is the role of the reader? Mm-hmm. What you want, what you hope to see, is a sense of um, of mission. Or see, I don't like. I use the word. You, you want to see a good performance, but some people get upset when you use that word because they figure, oh, you're talking Broadway. But for performance is a technical term. You're talking about when somebody does what they do. So you like to think that the reader reads well. You like to think that the singer sings well. Doing things well in the liturgy is important because by it we worship God. But we also have to have quality tools, fine altar linens, beautiful vestments, and in Andre's opinion, we must have good organs like the Herdetsky. It is important that uh, we uh, begin to value these few assets of great quality that we have, and this is one of them. And uh, I know that uh, our monks are, uh, by definition, uh, uh, driven by hospitality, and they would like to see this place thriving. And uh, this should serve the community of St. Louis, not just uh, uh, us, but uh, this instrument can uh, support chamber music, can support soloists, can be used for solo play, can be used in worship, and uh, we hope that uh, it will be on the map of St. Louis in uh, m- uh, more presence uh, in in life uh, of our city than it is has been so far. To learn more about the organ revival movement of the mid-20th century, the Herdetsky organ at St. Anselm's in particular, and organ music in general, visit herdetsky50.org. That's H-R-A-D-E-T-Z-K-Y-5-0 dot org. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Catholic Gateway Podcast. We always welcome story tips and ideas for the podcast. Just send them to communications at archstl.org. That's communications at archstl.org. Make sure to connect with us on social media to stay up to date with what's going on here in the Archdiocese of St. Louis. You can find us on Facebook. Just search for Archdiocese of St. Louis. We're on Twitter at ArchSTL is our handle there, at ArchSTL. And we're on Instagram, at CatholicSTL. And you should follow the St. Louis Review. They're on Facebook, also Twitter and Instagram, under the handle, at 
St. Louis Review. That's S.T. Lewis Review. The Catholic Gateway Podcast is a production of the Archdiocese of St. Louis. I'm your host, Gabe Jones. We hope you'll join us again next time here in the Gateway to the West, the Rome of the West, Catholic St. Louis. Next time on the Catholic Gateway Podcast. Pat and Kathy O'Donnell are the ACA chairs at St. Matthias in Lime. For them, this volunteer position is personal. Well, my daughter was killed in an automobile accident, and I was a church organist at the time. Plus, she was very active in church, and uh, all of us were. And so everybody in the parish knew us. And when it was on the news, everybody knew about it. The parish has given a lot to the ACA over the years, but Pat and Kathy don't take the credit. You're going to collect money, but it's like the Holy Spirit sent you to this house. You're just picking cards randomly. But I think somebody sometimes guides my hands. Their story next time on the Catholic Gateway Podcast.